If you to choose three words to describe the people of Edinburgh, what would you use? What would be the words that come to mind uh, for yourself and for the people you live with or live around or work with or know? What words uh, would you use? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to have some suggestions. Could get a bit tense. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if you, would, if you would have some time to think that through. Would joyful be on that list? If you'd think of three words to describe the Christians you know, would joyful be on that list? I think it should be. In fact, more than I think it should be, I think God tells us it should be. And I want us to look at that today. We're going to see that it is God's will for you to be full of joy. It's actually God's will. It's his intention for you. See, we were made this way. Human beings, you'll have noticed this, if you're a Christian and not here today, notice most people are trying to get joy, to get happy. They are, uh, it's even in the American Constitution, you have the right for the pursuit of happiness. In our culture, we think this is a big part of what we should be about. I just think most people are looking for it in the wrong place, or the wrong places. And that's why I see people who even have achieved a lot think, oh man, but it's still not working. Spike Milligan once said, all I want is the opportunity to be able to show that having loads of money and success isn't enough to give you happiness. But even people who who have achieved all the things that you might think, if I have that, if I do that, I will be full of joy, often aren't. Why is it, though, that we still are, are kind of tugged that way? I don't think it's a kind of irrationalism. I don't think it's a coping mechanism. I don't think it's just a kind of deferred thing or anything like that. I think it's because we were made by God to be full of joy. We're just really rubbish at it. God wants to speak to us about that today. I want to encourage you about that today. And because I think it's in the Bible, I'm going to show you that. Uh, We're going to be focusing on just one very, very small verse towards the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We've been going through this uh, for a few weeks now. And Paul has often been speaking at quite, uh, quite length about a series of different uh, areas of uh, church life and theology that he wants to speak to these guys about. But as we come into chapter 4 of Philippians, it becomes uh, almost kind of like just a series of bam, 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 quite small um, commands, actually, and encouragements. And so we're going to look at just one of those, Philippians 4, verse 4. If you've been a Christian for a while, you'll be familiar with this verse. I think Philippians is just one of the most kind of Christian quotable letters uh, there is. So here's another one of them. Philippians 4.4 4, may be familiar, but I think God wants to speak to us through it today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We're going to spend our whole time looking at what that means. Rejoice in the Lord always. So we're going to start with rejoice. Let's be clear on what rejoice is. Is it the same as, as, happy, as being happy? I think it's one of those tricky things, because I read some quite serious Christian books, and they're like, of course, joy is not the same as happiness. I think it ought to be, at least be able to be confused with it. It's in the same kind of genre, surely, isn't it? I read someone say, we're looking for a joy that reaches the face. And I think that's a good way of uh, getting us a feeling of what we're talking about. When someone says to you, well, of course, I am full of joy. I think I should be able to notice that in some way or other without you telling me it. Even though, obviously, people have different personalities and they respond differently. I think if we are going to divide between happiness and joyfulness, 
Often we might say uh, happiness is, is, is what's going on right now. Something happened, it made me happy. I am happy because this good thing is happening right now. Whereas joy has a depth to it and it is almost, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It's, it's irrelevant to the present circumstances because joy is a happy confidence in truth and in fact that, doesn't, that, that means whatever's happening around you right now doesn't get to veto that. So you could be happy just because, you know, it's a good day, it's sunny, it's shining, that's nice. But you could have joy, you can have joy when everything else around you seems to be a complete disaster. And so if we are going to divide and make some kind of difference between them, that's what I would say. But it's really important, I think, and I'm going to show you in just a moment, that happiness should at least be able to confuse, uh, joy should be able to confuse, you know, be in confusion with happiness. It should feel like it's this kind of thing that we're talking about. We're going to start by seeing that in, uh, through the book of Psalms. So the Psalms were uh, God's people's songbook. And he gave them these songs to help them express really all their different kind of emotions, all the different various uh, feelings they would experience, uh, life situations, circumstances, and to shape how they were to think and how they were to worship God and how they were to understand him and themselves and their relationship to each other. The Psalms mention joy and rejoicing and gladness 80 times. There's 150 psalms, there's 80 mentions of the words in Hebrew for joy and gladness and happiness and that kind of thing. And that's before we even start thinking of words like, you know, praise and celebrate and other things like that. So there's a lot of it in the book that God gave us to help us realise how we're to live and how we are to worship. We are commanded to rejoice. Now that's going to stir some heckles amongst some of you. Automatically, you're going to be immediately like, you can't tell me to be happy. I am not. God is telling you to <laughs> rejoice. He is. Psalm 91, 97 verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. The earth, you're in that. Let the many coastlands be glad. Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Psalm 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. There is shouting. There is forever singing. We are commanded to do that. But as Karen was speaking earlier about courage and how that isn't something that we just kind of make happen on ourselves, in the same way joy comes from God. He commands it and he enables it. Psalm 4 verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And the psalmist like, basically looks at lottery winners and their happiness. These people have the most stuff you could ever imagine. And he says, God, you have put more joy in me than those guys. In Psalm 30, verse 11, he says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, which is what people wore when they were sad and when terrible things had happened to them. He says, God has taken off the sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. He has 
given it to us. This, that everything that God commands, he enables. And rejoicing is part of that. You have given me this kind of joy. So this is informing us in terms of not only that joy is a right thing, but what it looks like. So far we've had singing, we've had shouting, we've had a comparison that says the people who have the most stuff and are delighting in it are not as happy as we who know God. So when you're kind of considering your joy and thinking, can I be straight-faced about joy? I don't think the psalmist lets you. And why is this then? Why does God not only command but enable this joy? It's because he is the source of all joy. He is joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. That doesn't just mean a lot. That means that's where it is. That is where joy comes from. Now it flows like a river all over the place to all those who know God and it's in us as human beings. Whatever your experience or knowledge of God already is, you'll have experienced something of this. And the reason that there's this happiness and this this ability to celebrate and rejoice in us is because we were made by God in whose presence there is fullness of joy. See, a comedian can make you laugh. A friend can cheer you up. A loved one can comfort you. But God is the source of joy. And you need that. And so it is fitting and it is possible for people to sing and shout and dance and celebrate to be filled with joy. Now even just in those psalms that we read, talked about those who are going through hard times, those who are suffering, those who are mourning, and yet rejoicing. The psalmist says it's possible to have many emotions, and the psalms are full of all the emotions. And yet joy cannot be vetoed. Whatever else is going on, joy must still be there. That's what the psalms teach us, and that's what they tell us about God. And so it's no surprise that when God comes to be amongst us, Jesus Christ, he's full of joy. He is full of it. Where does he start? Where does he perform his first miracle? At a wedding. What does he do? Creates loads of wine. Now you can say it's because it would have been embarrassing for the wedding feast for them to have run out of wine, and it would have been. But I mean, he, you know, he could have done something else that diverted attention from the embarrassment of not having enough wine, but he didn't. He made loads of really great wine. He healed people. Children wanted to be with him. They're like allergic to things that aren't fun, aren't they? I mean, I've seen them. If you're a parent, you know, you try and drag a child to anything that's not fun. They're not having it. They ran to Jesus because they see something in him. And they see what he does and they see what he's like. And they're like, this looks great. I want to be in on that. I want to see that. He uh, he had his team of followers and lots of other religious groups had their team of followers. And the other religious groups would often fast. They'd go without food and be praying hard, and that's right, and there's times to do it. But then they noticed that Jesus and his followers weren't doing it. And they said to Jesus, why don't your followers fast? And Jesus said, because I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. Why would you fast? If you are the friends of the bridegroom, when the bridegroom turns up, you have a party. Jesus says, that's me. 
He tells stories that are full of joy. Shepherd loses his sheep, goes all over the place to find them. So he's like, oh, that's not very joyful, but the moment he's got the sheep, he is full of joy. He tells a story about a son who wanders off and wastes his life and then comes back and the moment the father sees him, he is filled with joy and he has a party. It's what Jesus is like, it's what God is like, he says to us. And then even in that dark, just even in the cross, even in the horrors of him dying, what motivates him at that point? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he is full of joy and he is motivated by joy. And he shares that joy. John 15, he says, These things I have spoken to you, (laughs) that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's part of what he's come to do. He has come to give you his joy. And if you want to kind of compare amounts the amount of joy that God has and the amount of joy that you can cope with. I'm going to leave you to guess which one is more. That your joy may be full as you receive the joy of God that he happily shares with you. And so this became a distinguishing feature of his people. And we see in Acts, we see a lot of things going on. We see good times. We see very bad times. We see people doing things really well. We see people doing things really badly. But throughout, there is joy. We're told that they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We're told that when they go to places, one of the cities, Luke says, they go, they do the God thing, and it says, so there was joy in that city. That's what it should be like when God's people are in a place, there's joy. Why? Because they bring the presence of God. And what is in the presence of God? Joy. It's a pretty simple chain, really. Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, he's having a discussion about what you can and can't do. And there's obviously things you can and can't do. But Paul says that's not ultimately what the kingdom of God is about. He says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking what you can and can't do, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is more than just a response. I hope you get that. It is a response. Of course it is. We're going to look in a moment at the gospel, and that should make you happy. It should make you full of joy, because it's the good news. But godly joy is not simply great to that piece of news I just heard. It is a characteristic of God that he puts in us and grows in us. It's described as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God who lives in every Christian. As he gets to work in you, he develops his likeness in you and joy is in that list. And so we get to Paul and all his problems in Philippians. Paul is in prison. There is no prison that is joyful, but Paul is in prison. And Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he is happy, he's excited about them and stuff like that, but he's also aware that there are people outside the church trying to corrupt the message of the gospel. And he's also aware that his reputation is being kicked around like it always is. And he's also aware that there are people within the church who are starting to get the wrong idea about what's true and what's not. And he's also aware that there are some of the people, really significant people in the church, who've had a bit of a fallout recently. And so this is the kind of thing that Paul says. I make my prayer with joy. I will rejoice. 
He talks about their joy in the faith. He says, I am glad. He says, you also should rejoice and be glad and rejoice with me. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That's what he says. That's what he's like because the work of God in him is filling him with joy. And Philippians is not a one-off in that regard. I'm just trying to focus so that we eventually go into something else. The whole New Testament, the whole Bible is full of joy because God is full of joy. Now you may have noticed that not all Christian traditions have got hold of this. may have been your experience. You may have been surprised. Maybe it's the first time you've ever come to church today. You thought, there's been a lot more noise and a lot more laughter than I thought would happen in a building like this. Uh, American writer from the 19th century, I think, E.L. Mencken, had a quote. He defined Puritanism, a, a kind of Christianity, as uh, the dread fear or something like that, that someone somewhere is happy. <coughs> and you know, he was a keen observer of his society. And he looked at Christians, and that's what he thought. And he was wrong. Maybe they were wrong. Now, partly this is because when the world looks at Christians and thinks what they're getting their joy from isn't very joyful at all, it's like, well, they must just be making it up. But that's not true. It's not true at all. There are many places where you can find joy and you can find excitement, where you can find people very happy. You can go into the dressing room of a sports team just after they've won a great game. You can go to the SNP conference. But the place on earth that should be most full of joy, most full of happiness, most full of delight, is where the people of God are gathered, where the presence of God is, because in his presence there is fullness of joy. So, when we say rejoice, that's the kind of thing we're thinking about. But now I want to go on to this phrase, in the Lord, because it's really important that we don't just think that rejoicing is being Really, 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 really happy. We're just those really happy people. We're always really happy. No, no, shut up. We're happy. It's great. This isn't to be a thing where you can come here and cope with this if you're very positive about everything and very selective in what you look at and listen to. This isn't just a place where people who are just that kind of jumpy personality come along to. That's not it at all. How do we make sure of that? How do we ensure that our joy is godly joy? How do we make sure that actually we rejoice even when all our circumstances would suggest that rejoicing is the last thing we would possibly want to do because everything is terrible? How do we do that? Well, Paul makes it really clear. He defines it for us. We rejoice in the Lord. Joy is not everything is awesome. Joy is not cheer up, it could be worse. Or, you know, tomorrow is another day. Those things are not joy. And joy is not pretending that the real things around us aren't happening. Joy is Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. And when Paul says, in the Lord, the richness of what's in his mind, people have written volumes about. I'm going to just narrow it down to three things that are definitely in Paul's mind when he says, rejoice in the Lord. Firstly, rejoice in the Lord coming to be with us. He's thinking of Jesus. When Paul says the Lord, he always means Jesus. And so we think of Jesus as God with us. God came to earth to be amongst us. 
We have seen what God is like. We have encountered him. And you might say, well, we weren't alive right there and then, but it's you know, the people who were there kind of represent all of us. And this action of God's to come from heaven to earth shows that he cares, shows that he is involved. You can't say, I don't know what God's like. He has shown you himself in Jesus. You can't say that God doesn't care because he has come to us and shared his, his shared our condition. He has shared humanity. He has been like us. He knows what it's like to wake up tired. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it is to encounter loss. He knows all these things. The Bible says he's able to sympathize with us in all our weaknesses because he has been weak like us, yet without sin. And so when things are happening, you think, well, God, I'm not praying to someone who's got no idea. You know, you speak to I remember once being told this in a counseling thing a long time ago. You should never say to people, I understand, because you probably don't. But actually, Jesus does. He has taken on humanity like us. He's become like us. And this is the greatest news because this is how we are rescued. So we rejoice in the Lord coming to be with us, and then we also rejoice in the Lord dying for us. Because you know where the story goes. You know that Jesus goes to the cross. Why does he have to go there? Well, one of the reasons he has to go there is because we are rubbish at finding joy. We were made to experience it, and so it's in us, this desire, this searching out, this just chasing after it. It's always in, in us, but we've rejected the source of all joy. When God says, go this way, and there is joy for you, we say, no thanks, I'm going to go this way instead. And God tells us this is good. We say, no, I don't think it is. When God says, don't go near that, it's bad. We say, actually, I will go near that. Thank you very much. And there is a price for that. There is a consequence of that. To go away from the source of joy is to go towards misery. Now, there are things that temporarily fix, that kind of do the job, that are like a bit of a patch. And we think, well, I'm kind of feeling joyful. This is going to do for now. But actually, the end of that line is destruction and punishment. That is where you are without God. But it doesn't have to be. Jesus took the punishment that you deserve. He took God's anger. He endured the misery of separation from God so that you would not have to. He took it so that you wouldn't. He has died for you. He has given himself for you. So the worst mess you've ever made of anything can be dealt with. The persistent, frequent, annoying, the thing from that distant past you regret so much, the thing you don't even know that's going to happen yet but is going to happen, has all been dealt with. This is great news. This is wonderful news. It is to cause us joy. And so we rejoice in the Lord who has come to be with us. We rejoice in the Lord who has died for us. And we rejoice in the Lord who is alive now and coming back. We rejoice in the fact that he didn't stay in the grave, but rose to new life. Vindicated and the first fruits, the Bible says, of what is to come for us. He gets a resurrection body, which means it bears the hallmarks of a body like we had, but it isn't like ours. It doesn't have the weakness. It doesn't have that propensity to sin that ours currently has. And so the Bible says, what Jesus has now, you will get one day. You will have that. The guarantee, he's alive. 
So if you're like, oh, that sounds a bit complicated, I'm not quite sure how that happens. Well, he rose from the dead. So once that's granted, I really think anything else is on the table. He really can do what he wants. And what he wants to do is to give you a new heavenly body and then to bring you into an eternity with him, to bring you fully into his presence, where is fullness of joy, where all the pain and sorrow and suffering and darkness of this world are gone and dealt with forever. And all that there is, is the goodness and the richness and the beauty and the glory and the joy of God. That is your destiny if you're a Christian. When you put your trust in Jesus, when you put your hand in his, that is where he is taking you. And so whatever is going on right now cannot compare. Paul says our present sufferings, he says, I just, I put them in a scale and the scale breaks compared to the glory of what is to come. And that is to be our hope. That is to be the source of our joy. Rejoice in the Lord coming to be with us and dying for us and rising from the dead. Whatever's going on, these things are true. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. This comes from God. And all things with God, he is growing us. He's maturing us. And so we cooperate with him. And he does things alongside us and together. And growing in joy is one of those things. And so as we do this, we get more joyful. Uh, Someone's described it as joy fuel. We need it. We've got to seek it out. We've got to find it where we can. Within this context of rejoicing in the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, we find joy together. We are to gather together. Paul is writing to the Philippians. Often we read things like rejoice in the Lord and we think, oh, he's talking to me. Well, he is, but he was originally talking to the church. He's talking to all of them together. He says, you guys rejoice in the Lord always, which means that their times of corporate worship are to be full of joy. They are to be excited and exuberant. They are to feel like Jesus is alive and that's great news. That's what it's to be like. And so that's why when you come here on a Sunday, that's what it's like. And it's not that we only ever hit that note, but it is that that is the key in which we worship. Always. That he's alive. And that we have eternal hope. And hope right now. And so... It's the content and the tone of what we do when we gather on a Sunday. It's the content and the tone of what we do when we gather in small groups together during the week. It's the content and the tone of what we do as we uh, meet as Christian friends and we encourage uh, one another and we bless one another. And that isn't always a super spiritual kind of thing, although that can be good. But it's, it's just the being together that brings a godly joy. And even events such as meals and celebrations... The Bible warrants those. The Bible says, eat together with joy, celebrate together. So it's absolutely right and fitting that we do these kind of things. And again, if you're visiting us today, this is what it's always going to be like here. There's always going to be this joy because Jesus is always alive. And so I want to encourage you to expect that and to seek after it and not to think that you can get through your days without it. To know that even if it's difficult getting here in the morning, even if it's a struggle or challenging, even if you kind of come in with a lot of other stuff going on on in your head, put it aside and be reminded again of the goodness of Jesus 
and worship him and praise him and meet with his spirit as we have done this morning. So we're to rejoice together, but also we're to, rejoice, we're to find ways in which we can do this for ourselves. So I would say all of my initial encounters are with joy, with celebrating God, with loving him and worshipping and enjoying him came in corporate contexts. That's where I was introduced to it. I remember I went along to this church the first time. It's one of these churches had a reputation of being called a happy, clappy church. I was like, I wonder why that is. I was like, oh, it's because they're really happy and they clap all the time. And, and that's, I mean, I thought it was weird at first. So if you, again, in that place, like, this is odd. Yes, come back. Because it doesn't stop being amazing. Uh, but it can be something you experience as well. So that's where it begins. But the, the depth of joy and the reality of it, and the truth of it, and the everyday nature of it, the always part of this sentence, I've found comes through seeking out God, myself, with him, and thus being refueled, as it were, with joy. I do this in two ways. I've got routine, and I've got opportunism. So routine is making time to rejoice. I'm finding ways in which I'm going to rejoice uh, and I'm doing them a lot. So, a uh, classic quote so many times, George Muller said, I saw more clearly than ever that my first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. He is right. He's absolutely right. He was running multiple orphanages at that time. He was a busy guy. He knew he had to do this. And it's, it's just absolutely true. For me, that always starts the day with, uh, with reading God and his word, getting uh, in front of his word and having it speak to me, having him speak to me, uh, and knowing uh, that he's there and looking in it. So when I'm reading God's word, I'm not just trying to learn something. I'm not just trying to do something, although both of those things are going on. I am looking in it for what I can rejoice in the Lord in. I'm looking for whatever it tells me about God or reminds me about God or shows me about God so that my heart would be stirred and that in the Holy Spirit cooperating with me would grow joy in me. There are times when that's tricky. Sunday morning, I know it sounds weird, but when I'm preaching, it's always difficult because there's always a bit more on a preach that I want to do. There's always a couple of little, little bit more tweaks, this, that and the other, and I haven't quite got up on time. And now I need to do this. And the challenge is always, am I going to do that or am I going to worship God? And every time I say, I just can't, I've got to get this last bit of thing written, it's not as good a preach as it is when I just set time aside and say, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to celebrate in you. And so, so I'm reading the Bible in the morning. I'm journaling in the evening, which is my Thanksgiving routine. I'm thanking God uh, for the things uh, that he's done. I have other habits because I've worked out what grows joy in me. I'm someone who, as I learn more about God, that just thrills me. I get excited about it. So I do read, kind of, you know, I read a lot of Christian books. And then I tell other people, I just read this thing. It's amazing. Have you seen it? And they're like, okay. Because um, it might be true and it might be wonderful, but that's not necessarily primarily how they get joy. But for me, it is. The discovery and the reading and the seeing of God just thrills my heart. And I found that, and so I'm not just like, oh, well, I ought to do that because it's my job, or I, you know, uh, well, I just can't find time for it, or things like that. I have got to do that because I know it's going to grow joy in me. I love it. This isn't, I was trying to work out the way to describe it. It's almost like Hannibal from the A-Team. I love it when a plan comes together. Um, I love being involved in events where God is doing something amazing. It used to be part of New Day, which is a uh, youth event with thousands of young people that our guys will be going to uh, this summer. 
And I love it because God does so much stuff and it's all kind of happening there. And there are all these different people serving in all these different ways. And God is doing incredibly varied things amongst thousands of people. And I love just watching that and thinking that through. And I love it when we have weekends away uh, with our students in 20s here at King's. I loved it last night. We had a spring ball for our students and there's like a whole bunch of them here. And I was just kind of dancing away. And they're like, don't you want to dance? And I'm like, well, I don't really because I'm actually I'm having a great time. Because I am... <laughs> Because for me, the watching of all this happening, and the, you're laughing, I don't care. I don't, because I was just so full of joy standing there watching relationships that didn't even exist a year ago, and people who have become good friends and who are encouraging one another in the spirit, people who got saved, who would never have even darkened the doors of a church, are now swing dancing in 1920s costumes in this room. And you just think, God, this is amazing how you've done that. That just fills me with joy. And so I make sure I get times to do that. And I was eventually dragged into the dancing, but that didn't help. But there other people there. <laughs> but for other people there, the dancing was, was the joy. That was the joy. It was in the action. It was the doing of that. That was the joy for them. For you, it might be being creative. It's as you're creating things, thinking things, just almost discovering things. Then you're encountering God. It might be for you, it's serving. It might actually be in tradition and routine. There are so many ways in which we can rejoice in the Lord. That's got to stay in there. This isn't simply, oh, this is just a lot of fun. There's some fun things too, and that's fine. But these are, these are things that God is involved in, that I see God in, that I'm hearing God in, that I'm with God in. There's a book that I would recommend to you called Sacred Pathways uh, by Gary Thomas, and he basically describes a whole bunch of different ways in which you might worship and connect with God. And it's very helpful for me to understand both how I do it and how others do it, and not to seek all of them to really read long books as well, although I think many of you should. Um, <laughs> so these are routines. I'm putting them in my life. I'm making sure that I do these things because I know they grow joy in me. And then I'm also a joy opportunist. I'm looking for it wherever I can find it. Most days, for most of us, there's going to be a lot that isn't joyful, isn't there? There's going to be a lot that's hard. There's a lot that just feels dark and confusing and just not that great. Or a lot that's simply average. It's just fine. But when you put gospel goggles on, it changes things. Because when you receive a good or you experience a good, however small or tiny, and then you think, God, you came to be with us. Jesus came to be with us because he loves us because he's involved in the details of our lives. And so every tiny, tiny, small little thing that is good, I now credit to God. And my joy in him grows. It can be a meal that's just delicious. It could be a meal that's just going to give you a few more hours energy. Both can be joyful because you see the source and you thank him. Anything good or even anything that's just less worse than it could have been, is undeserved. The gospel is undeserved good news. You don't deserve uh, to be in God's kingdom. You don't deserve to, reveal, to receive this joy. You don't deserve to know about him. But you do. Any, every good thing is undeserved. And I think about Jesus on the cross. I'm reminded of that. And as I consider that, it grows this joy in me. And then when things are, frankly, rubbish and hard, and messy, and I, don't, I have no idea how I'm going to sort them out, or I can't even sort them out. It's not even in my, you know, 
sphere of influence. What am I going to do? How's that going to happen? Lord, I don't even understand. There is a joy to come that I've been promised far outweighs all suffering right now and a justice to come that will essentially fix everything. There is an eternity to come because Jesus is alive. And so I am thinking that way. Whatever's going on, I am thinking that way. Lord, you know and you care. That's amazing. Lord, I don't deserve any good thing I've got. This is wonderful. Lord, there is something so much better to come. Wonderful. I'm looking for that wherever I can find it. You need to seek that out. God loves to do this. He wants to cooperate with you on it. Final, final thing. Look out for the joy killers. That which smothers joy is sin. Sin feels like a quick fix. Feels like if I just do that, I'll feel better right now. You might, but eventually you won't. And there's a seriousness about that. And you need to hear if you're reading things in the Bible and you're thinking, well, yeah, I know, but it just doesn't match with my experience. Well, your experience is wrong, therefore, and you need to turn that around. If you're listening to good people around you and they're saying, I just don't think this is right for you, and you're saying, yeah, but it actually feels fine. If they're godly people, they're speaking God's word to you, you are strangling the life of joy in your own life. And to be honest, it may even have gone so far you don't even notice it. And God's warning you of that and offering you real joy instead. The Bible talks about repentance as a turning away from what we've done wrong. And it talks about there being a godly sorrow in that. But the sorrow brings us to the joy of forgiveness and a new way. And God has that for all of us here today. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Would you have used joyful as a word to describe you? Would it be in the top three? I believe it's God's will for it to be. When God tells us to do something, it's a command. He tells us to be just. He tells us to be honest. He tells us not to do thievery, not to do lying, not to do destruction. And he tells us to rejoice. This isn't an option extra. This is a command. And so you may even need to repent of having not done this. You may even say, God, that hard situation, just, that was all I could see. And he knows, but there's a repentance needed there. Or you'd just be like, I just have been doing my own thing rather than rejoicing in you. And you need to repent of that. I hope I've showed you today this is not a personality thing. This is a God thing. What it looks like in each of us will look different. But we will all be able to notice it. And so will the world, which desperately needs to know of the joy of God. So we're going to pray. And we've overrun. kind of feel like it would be good to sing. Would that be okay, parents? Great, thanks. <laughs> Band, do you want to come up? Please apologise to the kids' workers. They are serving you right now so that you can have joy in the presence of God. How amazing is that? Make sure you thank them. Let's pray. Jesus, I just love it that we're told in Luke's Gospel that you rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. God the Son rejoicing 
in God the Father, by God the Holy Spirit. And we want to do the same. We want to rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, we thank you. We're very blessed. There are many blessings, but nothing like your Son. Nothing like the Lord. And so we just ask you to continue filling us with your Holy Spirit, to continue to grow joy in us as a people together, as individuals. This week we'll face different things. We will rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, we repent where we haven't done this. So we're sorry it was unfitting of those who belong to you. We will rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. If you're able to stand, please stand. Let's sing.